Welcome to episode number 55 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. We're creating a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. Today's episode, we're talking about coal mill safety in cement production facilities with Vincent Grosskopf. Vincent has over 40 years experience in bulk material handling industries, 25 of them in dust explosion protection through Thor Weston Bent, based out of Germany. He's been semi-retired since 2011 and does technical consulting as the founder of the company Coal Mill Safety, specifically working with cement production industries. Just a couple days ago, Vincent reached out after we released our 2019 mid-year report and made the comment that through his experience and his uh, you know many years in the industry of, of coal production, we're not capturing nearly as many dust explosions that actually occur. And he's actually right. We have a really hard time with these because they're very often reported as you know a boiler explosion or a burner explosion, but there's no mention of the fuel involved. So we have a hard time determining whether or not it's a coal-fired burner and if that coal was actually involved in the explosion. So a good example of this is actually just a couple weeks ago, there was a boiler explosion in India, which injured 15 workers and 11, unfortunately, were, were critically injured with pretty large burns. And the only reason we knew that this was a coal dust explosion is that the reporting mentioned that after the burner exploded, there was very hot uh, burning coal flying throughout the plant, and that's actually what, what burned the, the workers. So in every case like this where we, we can determine that it was a coal dust explosion, there's probably 10 or 15 cases that come through that we can't even begin to figure out what happened. So this is a really important issue. And beyond that, these industries of cement production, where the, the coal milling operation is such a small part, it actually kind of gets left behind. And these industries may not be thinking about the coal dust explosion issues. So that's why I want to have Vincent on today to share his experience, to share what he's learned and maybe what's gone right in these industries and some of the things that are typically done incorrectly. So maybe by just getting started, that was a, a bit of a long introduction. But Vincent, can you briefly explain your current role within industries in cement production? Yes, I have still my contacts and the company I used to work for until my retirement is uh, very active in this field. And they are using me uh, for evaluations of existing situations and uh, for discussions with customers about uh, things to be done in the future. So one of the big things that you mentioned in our back and forth emails was the difference between direct coal-fired systems and indirect coal-fired systems. And in particular that direct systems have had more attention through the standards, but indirect have, have less attention. So can you just describe the differences between these, these different types of systems? Uh, yes. Uh, the cement industry, of course, is using almost exclusively indirect or so-called storage firing systems, where we have an air-swept mill, and from the mill, the material and air goes to a back filter. From the back filter, it will somehow mechanically or pneumatically go to a silo. And from the silo, it will be fed to the burners. So we have burners for the precursor and we have burners for the main. Uh, the, we have the main burner for the kiln. And uh, that is normally the path the coal goes through the system. And the case in India you have been referring to is obviously one where a coal mill has been used or the coal mill is being used for energy generation, for, electric, for electricity generation in a power station, where the cement company is, is using their own power system uh, for the power generation. 
And that may have been a direct firing system. Is that pretty common in cement production that they have their own power generation on site? No, but you will find it in countries like India where the cement plant can be very far away from any provider of energy. So they feel more secure having their own energy. Okay, that makes sense. And in areas where it's not for power production, do they still use the coal burner for firing the kiln and other aspects of the cement facility? Yeah, there are, of course, uh, there are boilers with, with various uh, firing systems. And uh, we have normally in the power generation, we will have direct firing systems, meaning that we have, again, we have an airstrip mill, but the connection between the mill and the burner or the, the fireplace of the, the, the fire segment of the, of, of the boiler is direct. And that can be either suction or blowing. But the, through these systems, uh, the, the coal is moved from the mill uh, to the boiler. And that's quite different because the risks of explosions are more or less reduced to an explosion inside the mill. So where, where the mill needs to be, the mill needs to be explosion pressure shock resistant. There's a rule in the US, an NFPA rule, where they say the coal mill has to be good for 50 PSI. Okay, and so I'll summarize that a, a, a bit. So direct systems have the air-swept mill with direct pneumatic conveying through to the burner. So it's more of a direct system where an indirect has uh, intermediate storage. So it could be in a bag house. Yeah, there we have other places where explosions can take place, of course. We have the back filter in which an explosion could be ignited and we have the silos in which explosions could be ignited. And that just means that's more complicated to protect then, right? There's more parts to it. Uh, yes, but also we have volumes there. We have volumes. We have uh, more or less intense dust movements in air. When you look at the back filter, we, we more or less have explosive atmosphere more or less continuously. Uh, in the silo, it is not as bad as that. But uh, the moment we have... Uh, something happening in the silo, we will immediately have a dust cloud that is intense enough or a homogeneous enough for uh, the support of an explosion. And we have a large volume there. That makes sense. Yeah. So you have more fuel, more moving parts, and just larger volumes than you would have in a direct system. What are So you mentioned some of the, the safety kind of issues in a general sense. What are common mistakes that you see in these industries frequently? Yes, apart from, from, there are many things that go wrong, that go wrong construction-wise. People are using solutions and history that is not completely understandable, but they continue to use these solutions. So you will find many, many issues in the, in a plant. Uh, when we speak of the so-called constructional explosion protection, do I have to explain a constructional explosion protection? Yeah, our, our listeners might benefit from that. So constructional explosion protection is normally to be seen as the last resort, the last ditch of defense you have against uh, explosion hazards. Uh, you will normally try to avoid the explosion in the first place. Let's say the strategy then should be called avoidance. And in order to 
do not need protection, you would need perfect operation of the plant, which is not always possible. So you will start to look into temperatures, you will start to look into oxygen concentrations you have in the system, and uh, you try to avoid dangerous situations as much as you can. Most programming systems in the Senate industry will be working on the low oxygen. They have the possibility to take air with 3% oxygen from the pre-consigner and that air is then led to the mill so that inside the mill you could say that there is normally an uh, inert atmosphere but that can go wrong for a couple of reasons that concentration can suddenly the oxygen concentration can suddenly go up and as soon as it becomes more than 12-13% we are start to get an explosive atmosphere there and for the back filter between the mill and the back filter, normally the oxygen is already going up. So many people will not be able to keep the uh, the oxygen in the back filter after the mill, downstream of the mill, the back filter. Uh, they, they don't keep it below 11%. So one of the difficulties is to never allow the oxygen to go up to more than 12%. And as soon as that goes wrong, we have an explosive atmosphere in the system. And then the only thing missing then is the ignition force. Okay. So yeah, constructed explosion protection is the second half of the equation. You want prevention through keeping the oxygen levels low, through preventing ignition sources, but you need to protect in the case that an explosion does happen. Is there any isolation requirement as well to, to separate the vessels? Well, that is the next thing. When normally you have a strategy in place, uh, which could be called emergency inerting. You will use either nitrogen or carbon dioxide. They will keep that in in, in cylinders or preferably in tanks, and they have the possibility to do to do something when something seems to go wrong. When temperatures go up and CO, then the CO is normally monitored. When when the CO goes up two values of which people know that they are not the right ones, uh, they will look into using their, or automatize, uh, use, uh, use their uh, CO2 system or the nitrogen system. And of course, in order to do that effectively, you have to be able to isolate the mill, the back filter, the silos, so that you have units of which you could get, uh, take care. If you have to take care of the whole system in one go, you would need a lot of CO2 or a lot of nitrogen. And so a couple of questions on on that, because I, I found in industry kind of a general consensus in cement production that there isn't really a you know a dust explosion hazard. They may see themselves as sort of outside of what I'm talking about when we talk about dust explosions because they make cement. So cement's not a combustible dust. But then they have the coal production. How many facilities have you seen that just have no protection, no prevention? programs in place for their coal systems, for their coal milling systems? Well, depending on the engineering company that has set up the plant, there are some differences in the, the level of understanding of uh, technology. So you you find qualities of, uh, of protection in the various systems all over the world. And uh, some systems are well protected or I can say no system, practically no system I see in the in the field is completely, perfectly protected. There's always something wrong with something. It can be anything. Yeah, and that's why you need someone with a specialist background to look at the the whole the whole plant, right? 
Yes, I have gone through plants with uh, real explosion protection experts. When they go to a coal system, they are not used to, to coal systems. They are probably used to situations in the chemical or pharmaceutical industry. About They are used to uh, problems with solvents. Uh, but when these people are asked to look into an existing coal grinding system, they will discover only a few things. Uh, to look into the details of a typical coal grinding system, uh, you, you need a, to, to have seen a lot of them uh, to recognize what's wrong with them. That makes a lot of sense. And so Vincent provided me an article that he wrote for Global Cement actually recently, February 2019, which we'll include a link to in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 55 for this episode. But it's, it's all around this um, coal milling safety and, and cement production. And you mentioned this earlier in the interview and earlier or in this article as well about old equipment, one of the facilities having old equipment and then also replacing it with the same type of equipment, even if it's outdated from a safety standard. This is an issue that we see in many different industries. Could you just expand on it? How does, it, how does that happen in cement production? Is it the same footprint that they want to match with the new equipment or the same cost? Or what does that look like? I think there's a, a lot of history behind all these designs. These designs become all very old. When you look at the completely new coal grinding system today, it's engineering of 40 years ago. And maybe the, a, a piece of equipment like a mill or a backfilter has a lot of new features, a lot of new technology in them, but the basic concept of a coal grinding system is still the one of many years ago because these engineering companies are using the designs over and over again, making such a design for a complete system, let's say 30 tons, 40 tons per hour of coal grinding to a certain specification. Um, it will be one of them in every four or five years. And they will reuse the drawings and will do as little as possible uh, to change them. That makes it so difficult to get the, the necessary correctors into the new designs. Yeah, and I've seen this personally, even just at a recent event that I was speaking at, which had actually a lot of cement producers at it. I, I heard on the first day I was talking with an individual and they said, the problem with our plant is we have a mix of new and old equipment, which on its own isn't, it wasn't a big thing, but actually four more times that day, <laughs> talking to different people at different companies said the same thing. Our, our struggle is that we have a mix of new and old equipment. And then on the second day, I must've heard that same quote from three more people. And I realized that this is a, it's not a, it's not actually the problem at their facility. It's a, it's a widespread problem in the whole industry, this mixing of new and old equipment. And then I didn't think of replacing in kind, but you're you're moving that forward, that problem. If you replace it with the exact same model of old equipment that you you started with, you're not you know getting better. You're not getting towards safer solutions. So I really resonated that when I read it in your article. Let's talk. So we talked a lot of the problems um, with old equipment, with prevention and protection, and different types of facilities. What are some of the solutions? What are some critical improvements that cement production facilities should be thinking about to make their coal mill safer? One of the things that has been wrongly understood for many years is the connection between the mill and the back filter, which normally is a so-called riser duct. That can be a very long duct, and there we have the point 
where everybody in explosion protection knows about, which is that flame form propagation through ducts uh, will accelerate in a relationship to the L over D rate of, of the duct. Meaning that when I have a duct of, let's say, one diameter, one meter diameter, and it is 40 meters long, I have an L over D of 40. And that is a, a, an L over D that would give you a flame form propagation if the flame starts uh, with a flame velocity of 10 meters per second when the ignition takes place, we will end up with something like like uh, 200, 250 meters per second, which is more than 700 kilometers per hour at the inlet of the back filter. And that point in the system has never been understood correctly until Professor Zent started to pick up an old idea of Ethel Smith, a Danish, and also in, in it's also a company uh, located in the US, in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, a very big company. And they have had a concept that has been picked up by Thomas Zent. At that time, it was me who was looking at that. And uh, we used that concept. And the basic idea behind that concept was the interruption of the flame front propagation by an explosion vent close to the mill outlet. And that was done in a way that was not not so well designed also because of the the, the mass the, of, of, of the weight of the explosion doors that were, were used, but also the geometry of the system was not chosen well. But over the years, that has been improved. And so there is now a concept to work against this, to do something about this possible very fast flame front propagation, which is one of the elements of, of, of uh, hazards in a coal winding system. The long riser duct between the mill and the back filter. And you mentioned your the company you worked for, Thor Western Invent. What was the other company? I missed the name that started that work on the the riser duct and flame acceleration. Ethel Smith. It's very well known in the cement industry. It is one of the big engineering companies working for the cement industry worldwide. Okay, I just want to make sure we have that for the show notes. They are in Pennsylvania, as I said. They used to be Fuller. The name used to be Fuller, but Ethel Smith bought them twenty years ago. Okay. And what are some other improvements? So we have proper venting on the riser duct to avoid flame acceleration. And I'll make a note there, actually. If you ever see one of these explosion tests live, or if you're if you're unfortunate enough to see them in the facility, it accelerates fast. When, it, when Vincent's talking about it goes from 5 meters a second to 300, that actually happens. And the force of that explosion is much, much stronger when it's going through a duct with a, a large L length to diameter ratio. So that is really very, very important. There's another important point that is that no standard in the world tells you to use self-reclosing explosion vents. There are standards on explosion venting like NFPA 68, there are st- the European standards for that, there are all kinds of standards for explosion venting, but no standard has been has been made up by people who would also look into the fire protection of what is protected by the explosion vents. Meaning that when the explosion vent remains open, the filter, uh, for example, when we speak about a filter with many explosion vents on it, will be open to the atmosphere, there will be oxygen available for the fire to go on. Uh, The the, uh, nitrogen or the the carbon dioxide will disappear via the venting orifices. So that there is not a rule in a standard that tells you for certain situations to use self-reclosing explosion vents is a big manco. 
That is also one of the things that goes wrong with many, many designs of programming systems for the cement industry. Still, even after many years of preaching to the industry and the industry doing something about it, I cannot say that nothing has happened over the years, but still you will find explosion vents that are not self-reclosing on back filters, on silos, on other equipment. That's an interesting point. I've heard something similar from Dr. Chris Bloor out of New Zealand. So you protect from the explosion, but then the fire afterwards is actually what ends up destroying the equipment. I think his his technique there was to put sprinklers in the ducting line if you're ducting an explosion vent to an outside wall. Because if you have an explosion and it vents properly, that's great. But then if there's a fire in the duct, that actually destroys your equipment. So you want to protect from that fire. And what you're saying is a self-enclosing vent would stop oxygen from getting in, stop your nitrogen from getting out, and prevent that fire from escalating after the explosion. I think that's very smart. So these, these are, I would say, uh, two, two of the basic things, but there are many, many smaller things in uh, typical cement plant co-grinding systems that need to be looked into and should be improved. So when you're coming on at a new facility, and I didn't really, I didn't prep you for this question, but when you, when you come and look at a facility, is there one place that you look first to see where the hazards might be? Or I start at the yard. I started at alcohol yard because the problems always will start at the yard. The problems I am talking about here are intensified oxidation of the of the alcohol sitting in the yard. When there is a lot of exposure to sun, when there is a certain uh, level of humidity in the coal, this, the coal will start to heat up, and that uh, intensified oxidation can further intensify even to, to an open fire. And people are not ready to work on that. They will rise, uh, rinse it with water. They will try to do something with water. They have no strategy in place to get rid of that problem. And in the end, the coal with that kind of, of uh, oxidation going on will end up in the plant, which is the, the worst thing to happen. So that's your ignition source, if the coal is self-reacting or self oxidizing then it goes into the conveyor and gets pulled into the the grinder and then you have your ignition source there is there typically magnetic separation or anything else to avoid ignition sources of course avoiding ignition sources is very important you should have have your grinding your your grounding or your earthing in place static electricity can become a problem even with coal dust there are other possibilities, trend uh, metal that runs into a mill, so that you have an ignition source inside the mill, and, uh, and layers of materials. I'm not talking about uh, uh, automatically. I'm not automatically talking about uh, equipment internal situations. I'm also talking about uh, layers of dust that may have formed outside of the equipment, which is even more under under certain conditions, even more dangerous than. Uh, than the the, the the wrong things that happen inside the equipment. Uh, the moment that something happens inside the equipment, a, a little pressure rise in the equipment that opens up something and causes the air inside or the air in the environment of the equipment to start to become turbulent and fill up the dust that can be found in the plant. In almost every coal grinding system, you will find deposits of coal dust which should not be, that's a housekeeping problem, of course. But if 
that coal is whirled up and forms a dust cloud outside and is then ignited by something that happened inside the system. That is the most dangerous situation there is. That's where people are killed and maimed. Yes, I couldn't agree more. So that's a couple of different points we've highlighted there. What's the path forward specifically in cement industries on on getting more knowledge of safety and getting more explosion protection systems put in place? Is there something that you've seen that's worked with your experience? Well, there are certain people in the industry that uh, I have uh, met over the years and with whom I have uh, worked. And I can say that uh, some people have picked up things and started to improve things. But in a general way, you cannot say that there's a lot of improvement in the industry. Well, hopefully this this podcast at least will help anyone that's that's listening and working in these industries understand a bit more about the hazards. Where should someone go to learn more? Is there any standard documents or... We're going to include your article in the on the website, but anything else that people could go to? There are many standards for explosion and fire protection, which are looking into basically you can say every detail in in in, in explosion and fire safety is covered somewhere and somehow by some standard. But there is not a general standard in principle. NFPA. 85, the code NFPA 85 makes a statement and says we are covering that the code for for combustion. The code has been formed for for power generation and it covers mainly direct firing systems in the power generation. But it also claims to cover indirect firing. Giving one example of a coal grinding system in the steel plant, in the steel industry for the carbonization of steel. But that's code. If you look into that code, you will find almost nothing that would help you build or operate a coal grinding system like the ones in the cement industry. Although the, the code claims to cover it. And I think basically you can say there is no literature available for the cement industry uh, that they could follow or from which they could learn how to, to, uh, to design a coal grinding system. It's not there. Okay, that's a that's a really good background and a really good maybe place to to leave off. Any other final words for explosion protection in cement production facilities? I think the cement industry would do very well if they in the, if their associations uh, would start to work on that. They are looking at this moment. They are looking into uh, and getting cleaner plants. Uh, the coal grinding safety is not necessarily uh, in their focus. Uh, it has not. It has, it has never been. The coal grinding system is something like the dustbin in the in the backyard for a cement plant. No, that's a great. That's a great point. So I, I think that if the cement associations in the U.S., we have the important cement association, PCA, and if they would do something about it by writing a booklet that would help everybody to be on the same page, that would be very good. Yeah, we've seen some examples of that in, in Canada. The Woodpell Association of Canada has come out with a lot of guidelines and audit checklists for wood pellet producers. Yeah, but then you give too much. You give too much information. You give too many options for people. How can they? How can they learn something? You should learn them. You should teach them the things they need to know. Not too much. Not more than necessary. 
but they should understand, they should have a basic understanding of what can go wrong when you are dealing with coal dust, uh, that you have a problem with oxygen, obviously, where you have dust clouds, where you can have ignition sources, and then where construction explosion needs to be in place. Uh, for example, you see in a system, I give you an example, you see flanges on ducts that are called kitchen ventilator uh, quality, where they should be exposing pressure shock resistance. And then th this system of the kitchen ventilator quality is connected with a correct system where the flanges are five times thicker than the flanges of the kitchen type uh, ventilation piping. So when you see something like that, you know something is wrong. And I think that people should understand that when they see something, that something could be wrong. Yes, the explosion's not going to stop at the weaker point. It's gonna, That's where it's going to blow out. Yeah, I mean, you see six flanges and you see a lot of material in order to provide, to provide for explosion pressure shock resistance. And then you have to understand that when something is connected to that and has not that type of flanges and not that kind of wall thickness, that's something is wrong. Yeah, that's a great insight. So I think we'll leave the we'll close off the interview there. This has been really helpful for me. Uh, as I mentioned before the call to Vincent, my my background is not very strong in cement production. I knew that they're milling coal and that they're using it. There's a dust explosion hazard, but I've had a hard time connecting with these industries personally. So I've learned a lot here. Um, I'm hoping that the the listeners have learned quite a bit as well. And I just want to thank you, Vincent, for for coming on, sharing your your knowledge and your 40 years experience in this industry. Yes, I thank you. Well, thank you very much. And I'm um, hopefully we can get you back on the podcast for another uh, interview covering uh, you know a similar topic in the future. I hope so too. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Vincent Grosskop from Coal Mill Safety. And that's at coalmillsafety.com. And we've been talking all about explosion protection and explosion safety in the coal milling operations that go on in cement production. So in particular, we talked about the different parts of these systems how indirect systems may have more complex components, um, higher volumes of coal than direct systems where the, the coal dust is continuously being swept through. The indirect systems, they have some storage component and then they have a bag house and you know, sometimes a cyclone in different, area, different parts that can add to the complexity and to the explosion hazard. And we talked through a, a bunch of the different common issues that he's seen, um, some of the common fixes as well. We talked about things like the riser duct, allowing acceleration of the flame front through that ducting and then having a, a proper system that can stop that from when it enters the baghouse being a you know a full-scale large fast moving flame front and explosion we talked about the the need for self-enclosing vents to avoid oxidating a fire after the explosion we talked about the coal yard itself so make sure the the coal is not smoldering when it's coming in removing ferrous metal objects uh, other source of ignition control and we talked about Fugitive dust accumulation as well. So if you have dust, coal dust accumulating on the outside of equipment, once you have an explosion on the inside, that can lead to a, a really large loss in terms of equipment, but also that's where you can get a lot of employees being injured by an incident like this. And we mentioned an explosion that may have involved something like this out of India just a couple of weeks ago. So we'll include links to all that information in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 55. If you want to connect with Vincent, we'll include a way to contact him there as well. And you can visit his website at coalmillsafety.com. We'll have the links to the website as well. As we mentioned just a couple episodes ago on episode 52, we are hosting the Digital Dust Safety Conference coming up in February of 2019. And if you're in the cement or lime production industry or if you're 
even part of association that's that's part of that as as vincent mentioned education awareness is a big component here and you might benefit from from attending that four day uh week-long training industry training seminar and research program on combustible dust so that might be of interest you can, you can access that at dustsafetyscience.com slash ddsc if you're listening to the future then we'll we'll put uh the the most recent or the uh, upcoming events there. And we'll list that as well. So that's it for this episode of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Again, I really appreciate all the listeners that reach out. I wouldn't have this conversation if Vincent didn't email me and you know talk through some of the struggles that we're having and also highlight the, the experience he's had. So continue sending those emails through, continue sending those questions through. Um, and we look forward to the chance to get, get you sh- on the podcast and share your experience. So with that, I just want to say, as always, thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. And I appreciate everything you're doing in industries, handling combustible dust, uh, making these facilities safer around the world every day. 